Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. And today's a pretty exciting day um, for a few reasons. One is uh, if you haven't caught up on past episodes, uh, episode 92 came out a little while ago. And episode 92 is the first chapter of my book, Fictional Authenticity. So uh, I don't always know when these podcasts are going to be released, but that podcast is out. It's episode 92, uh, the first chapter of my book, Fictional Authenticity. So you can get like a preview, listen to what that book is all about. That book will be out in September 2019. So if this podcast, if you're listening to this and it's after two, September 2019, you can go pick up that book wherever fine books are sold. Um, and if it is still in September 2019, you should head over and check out episode 92 and listen to chapter one. I just wanted to share that because uh, writing this book has been a huge task, accomplishment, and you guys know that that you've been up to something for years and finally get conclusion on it. It is uh, it's just amazing. Uh, I started working on that book, on this book, oh God, like four years ago at least, and um, actually started writing it probably about three years ago and have been kind of grinding away ups and downs some, some periods of time, not writing at all, and some periods of time writing like a beast and uh it's here and it's basically done some final touches and uh i'm excited for people to get to read it um my guest today uh has nothing to do with the book but um i I wanted to touch on that before we even got here my guest today is somebody who i met i don't know a a month ago a couple months ago at an epic mastermind event here in san diego he I had not I had not heard of him before. Um, I was actually at this Epic Mastermind event to see Steve Weatherford talk. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Steve Weatherford, he played for the New York Giants. Um, he was a kicker. He's fittest man in the NFL, and now he is. I don't know. He's like the golden god of the fitness community. Um, but uh, a friend of his and somebody who he works close with was also speaking at the event. And I was fortunate enough to be there because it was the first speaking gig for this person. And it was pretty incredible. They had never done live speaking. They stood up. They talked for, got it, it was at least a half an hour, if not longer, um, which is pretty incredible. You guys know when you have to get up and talk in front of a room for five minutes, it can be stressful and difficult. So to go half an hour or longer is challenging. And if you know, TED Talks are only eight minutes. So... He spoke for a while. His talk was captivating. It was insightful. It was a lot about his father and his relationship to his family. And it really struck a chord with me. And I approached him after. And I I just really wanted to get him on this podcast and have a talk with him about what he's up to, his life. Let him share his story because I think we have there's lots of similarities in our relationships with our parents. Not the same ideas or stories, but the way that we relate to our parents and the challenges that we all face. And that's not something that we've done a lot of talking about on this podcast. I also think this guy is a little bit of a rebel. And as someone said to me recently, um, I'm a rebel who found a cause. And I'm looking really as I as I shift direction with this podcast a little bit, I'm really looking for rebels who have either found their cause or people that want to unleash that like rebel inside of them to be up to something. So my guest today is London Papa Michael. London is a NASM certified personal trainer. He is on the fitness playbook, the fitness app playbook. So you can like work out with him on that app. Um, He's a physical performance coach to the number one ranked boxer in the USA at 15 years old, who is Steven Navarro. 
uh, I guess in the 95 pound like division. He's also the creator of the best-selling Weatherford Fit ebook, Master Shredder, and also Leg Again and Boulder Shoulders. I love that. Uh, I know his uh, Steve Weatherford's Armageddon, which I thought was a brilliant idea. So there's Leg Again and Boulder Shoulders. He also has appeared on the Steve Weatherford Show, which is a podcast episode turning pain into power and Claiming Your Truth podcast, episode 105, Using Pain to Fuel Your Greatness. Uh, London lives in Venice Beach, California, and I'm excited to have him on the show today. What's up, London? Hey, my man. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I've always uh, wanted the opportunity to connect with people like you, man, and uh, share ideas, share thoughts, share the good, the bad, man. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me, man. You're welcome. Dude, you're up to a lot. It's so that's so you've you've written, you know, I don't think people realize this, right? You see somebody like Steve Weatherford or I don't know how many followers he has on his social medias, but hundreds of thousands, if not in the millions. Um, and you think that somebody like that is like creating their stuff. Right. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but nobody does everything themselves. We all need support. We all need teams, especially as we get bigger and bigger. So it's really cool to see like you you created some of Steve Weatherford's materials. Yeah, it was an awesome opportunity, man. And that was the first time he let somebody write something for him, you know, because Steve is the type of guy that, you know, he'll go all in and learn how to do everything. You know, he wrote, he did Armageddon by himself. He learned how to do all the graphics and all that kind of, you know, the the coding to make it perfect, to make it look pretty. He, he did all that by himself. And he got to a point to where I was like, man, you know, I can't keep doing this on my own. You know, I've, there's other things I want to do. I've got a family. And when I can find people that can bring something to the table like myself, I, I'm going to give them a chance. I'm going to trust them, man. And for somebody that I admired and respected that has his kind of resume, let alone being an awesome guy too and family man, you know, to answer my DM and then a year later for me to work with him and get that kind of opportunity and the fact that what I did was successful. I mean, that's like a dream come true, man. Like when do you get a <laughs> chance to talk to your idol? You know, I don't like the word idol, but somebody you really admire and respect. Yeah. And then you, you forge this friendship and then you work for him. And then what you did actually lived up to the hype. And he's like, hey, man, we're going to publish this. And that's the risk you take, too. I don't get credit for it. And that's, I, that's not why I did it. I did it because I wanted to help somebody and I wanted to learn the business. And I got a chance to internship with one of the guy that was voted NFL's fittest man. So it wasn't for me to try to be famous and have my name on an ebook. But what it did teach me is what it takes to make one. And that's the thing he said to me once we did it. He's like, now you see how easy it is to write an ebook. So when the time comes and you want to make your own, you know exactly what to do. And I said, you're right, man. And it, it was an awesome opportunity. Guys, what's up? This is Alex Terranova taking a little break for a second from that podcast episode to tell you about my book. I wrote a book. It's crazy, right? But it's for real. For real, for real. Like for real, for real, for real. I wrote a book. It's called Fictional Authenticity. Release your past. Start living your real life. So you guys can pick this book up right now on Amazon. Basically, at 32 years old, I woke up. I saw that like everything I was living was a story and it was bullshit. And this book is my journey of realizing that the life I had created was this life that I envisioned as a child. And as a grown-up, it wasn't real. It was imaginary and inauthentic, even though I felt like it was authentic. And I think we all have aspects of this. And that's why I wrote this book. I wrote this book for people who don't normally read personal development self-help, whatnot, to, to just take you through my journey and what I did to really transform my life. And throughout the book, I give you practices, tools, and tips that you can do so you can do this in your life. It's called Fictional Authenticity. Release your past, start living your real life, and you can get it on Amazon now. Now let's hop back into the episode. That's so, I, I want to share with like the audience how you actually met Steve, because that in itself is a testament to your your drive, your persistence, your will. Um, you know, I got to hear about it because he praised you at that talk. But will you share like that pro, like how you got introduced to, like how you found him, got introduced to him? Because you, you were already personal training, right? And you didn't you didn't need to go that route. You chose to go that route. What's that What's that story like? Well, actually, I wasn't training at the time. It's something that was always on the back burner. You know, I was actually in the restaurant business before I got into the fitness business. And uh, I actually had a failing restaurant in Florida. I was seven months in. I was broke financially, mentally, physically, spiritually. 
and I'm looking myself in the mirror and I'm listening to different motivational stuff. And I'm like, looking myself in the mirror. I'm like, what do you want next, man? What are you going to do? How can you overcome this? Cause that was the biggest failure of my life, you know, personally. And the toughest thing I had to deal with besides losing my mother to alcoholism, which we can get into later if you'd like. And I'm like, man, what do I want? You know, I'm like, I think I need to give this restaurant business a break. It just kind of go in, go all in on myself. So if it works out or if it doesn't, I can look the man in the mirror and say, I did everything I could. And whether I win or lose, it's on me. And I kind of wanted that opportunity to just bet on myself instead of betting on a team or business friends or business people I'm involved with, you know, and I take my full responsibility as well with the restaurant not going well. I'm not blaming anybody, but it did fail. And I'm listening. I'm watching a guy named Steve Cook that's real big into fitness. And he was hanging out with Lewis Howes and Weatherford, Steve Weatherford. And I remembered seeing Weatherford as the fittest man. And being a pen, being a punter, you're not really respected and you're not respected for being fit. So me being a football guy, loving football, playing football in high school, I was like, holy shit, man. <laughs> An NFL punter is the NFL's fittest guy. And then I saw his shirt, you know, the, the photo shoot. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Wow, man. So and then I saw Steve was really getting on social media and trying to bring himself up in the fitness world. So I was like, man, I think I want to chase the fitness thing. And what are the chances of me working with someone like him? Because the cool thing I thought about Steve, which I respected what he was about as a man and his fitness vision, was he was up and coming. So I had a better chance to get noticed by him because his following wasn't as big at the time versus finding a guy that was at the top of the game. And I could learn from his mistakes as him growing his business. And Lewis Howe said, while I was you know, contemplating my life, he says, I'm going to give you guys some advice. Find someone you admire the most, get a hold of them, tell them you work for them for free, and you'll pay them. Yeah. I bet they never heard that before. Yeah. And I was like, wow. So immediately I DM'd Steve Weatherford and I said the exact words. And I said, I just want an opportunity, man. And uh, he wrote me back that night and was like, look, I would never take your money. But that's the kind of people I'm looking for. So I moved to New York to have an opportunity to work and live with a friend that owned his own personal training business. He's willing to take me in, let me live with him for free. And I would help him with his social media, like film stuff. And we would collab and we'd kind of go back and forth on fitness modalities. And uh, he gave me a chance to live with him for five months, man. And uh, through that time, I learned from Johnny and what he thought about fitness and how he ran his business while keeping in touch with Steve. And Steve was like, I'm putting together, you know, an internship and I'm going to get two guys together and then I'm going to pick one of them to work for me full time. And I just kept in touch the whole time while learning from Johnny and working with him and realized fitness was something I really wanted to chase, man. But I knew New York wasn't for me because I'm not a cold weather guy. I'm a beach guy. I just I, I'm, I'm half Greek, man. I'm from the beach. I got to be by it. It's part of me. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I sold everything I had and I moved to L.A. with two suitcases. I never been to the West Coast before. I didn't know anybody. I had no job lined up. And I just told myself I was going to make it work. And I wrote down several goals. And one of those goals was I will work with Steve Weatherford within five years. And within a, within a year, I ended up working with him. He invited me to Anaheim to a, a conference that he was doing. And I, I met with him. I worked out with him. I had breakfast. And he said, hey, I'm putting together a private coaching team. And I want you to be one of the coaches. And he offered me a job, man. And uh, the uh, thing that I noticed when he was the real deal you know, because you always like, well, I wonder what this famous person is really like yeah. in real life. Does he practice what he preached? Does he he talks the talk, but does he walk the walk? And the way he was around people that knew him and didn't know him, how kind he was, how thoughtful he was, that's when I knew that was the kind of person I wanted to be associated with, man. So through persistence and, you know, not having any fear, I simply wrote him a DM and I was relentless of reposting all his stuff in a respectful way. Because not only did I want to get his attention, man, I believed in his messages. I believed in his quotes. So it was a win-win. I was posting stuff I believed in. And also, every day, I was in his forefront of his eyes of like, hey, who's this London Pop Michael guy? He's really supporting me. Maybe he's the real deal. Maybe I should give him a chance. So by respectfully supporting the heck out of him, it gave me the opportunity of a lifetime to work with him. And now he's a dear friend of mine. Yeah, and he speaks, I mean... I got to obviously see him speak about you in front of you and he speaks extraordinarily highly of you. And, um, you know, I was impressed in that. I, I felt that actually the same way about both you guys, you know, in the, you don't know who you're meeting when you see things online, right? You have no idea. Like 
I was actually having a conversation yesterday about the online atmosphere is the most inauthentic atmosphere there is. Like it's, it's just, it's the highlight reel of our life, right? Like nobody's, and it's, it's not real, but we look at it as though it is. And I think when I was in the presence of both you guys, what I got really clear on is like, these are really good guys. They're actually really honest and they're genuine and they do care about people. Um, and I love that you were relentless with him that, you know, he describes the story as this guy didn't know, just kept DMing me, kept liking my stuff, kept commenting on my stuff, kept reposting my stuff and all in a, I want to say healthy or respectful way that had him go, man, who is this? Like if somebody's going to support me this much, I want to take a look at who they are. And I think that that, that that advice you got from Lewis Howes, I remember that episode, and I'm sure he said it many times, but I remember episodes where Lewis Howes would talk about that. And that's pretty awesome, right? Like, hey, teach me and I'll pay you. And I love that he he wouldn't even take your money, right? He was like, nah, you know, you, you basically provide enough value that you didn't have to pay him. Yeah, exactly, man. And again, back to what I was saying, that's the kind of person I want to associate with, you know, to uh, to get better in life, to get faster, to get smarter. You run with people that are doing better than you, that are experiencing more than you. The opportunity to uh, learn from somebody that's already experienced things that you want to experience and you can learn from the good and the bad, you know, and it was an honor to have, you know, someone I hold so high, you know, to say that in a room full of people, man, it's, it makes me feel proud and know that, you know, I made the right choice of what I'm, what I decided to do with my life and, you know, the opportunity to work with him, you know, it's, uh, I'm so grateful, man. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, your like fit because, you know, you said you were in the restaurant business and you weren't in the fitness business. And now, you know, if I, if you, if somebody goes to your social media right now and looks at you like on, uh, like Instagram, it's, it's London bro. And you look at your Instagram account, you don't look like somebody who is new to the fitness world. I know, I know you said you played football. You look like somebody who's got a ton of experience. You're training, people and I've watched some of your training sessions with with uh, over the stories that you post and it's intense. Did you did you like how did you learn and how did you dive fully into that industry and get to where you are now where you're building up your audience, your following and again you're working with a the number one ranked boxer. It's uh, it's something I was born with, man. You know, uh, my my dad was athletic and into fitness. My mom was always uh, into, you know, health and taking care of herself. And uh, I grew up watching them and seeing them, how they were with their lifestyle and how their bodies were. And my dad was like my hero when I grew up. You know, he was my uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I looked at my dad like that, let alone watching those movies with him and the bodies of work that they had. And I saw my dad, you know, taking Metrex supplements and protein powders. And he had those, you know, the old school 80s, you know, stringers with the big pants with the grill on them, you know, <laughs> deadlifting a thousand pounds. And I thought it was the coolest thing, man. So I would go to the gym with my dad, you know, and I'd climb around with him and I'd try to do different things and try to keep up with him. And I was fascinated by it, man, by the movies and then him and the way he looked and the way his body performed in the gym. And I just always wanted that, man. And then we would always rollerblade together. You know, we were always an active family, always running around doing the baseball. So that was something instilled in me in an early age. And then, you know, growing up, moving to the States after my parents split up, you know, I was I always stayed active, but I didn't necessarily work out. And then I went to, uh, I played football in high school and uh, one of my classes was weight training. And I actually, the, uh, the teacher or the coach instructor was a football coach. And I became friends with a guy that was a senior and he let us do our own thing. And this senior took me under his wing. He wasn't even a football player, but he really learned about the body and how to train. And I actually worked out with him every day. And I didn't even do anything with the class. Me and him ran a mile and then we trained on our own. And the coach trusted him and he saw how he looked and how we trained that he, he was like, well, London's fine. And he's better off with him than working out with me in the class. And I just fell in love with it, man. And I kept building up my body for football. And I loved the way I looked, the way I felt. And, uh, I was in tip top shape, you know, leading up to my senior year. And then after football, you know, cause I didn't play college ball. I, uh, I stopped working out, man. I was a freshman in college and I majored in beer pong, Wendy's and Waffle House. I put on 40 pounds my freshman year. I went from 160 to 200 pounds and I'm five, seven on a good day. So that's a lot of weight, man. 
And uh, my cousin pulled me aside. That was kind of like my big brother, kind of like my father figure because my dad wasn't in my life. And he was like, man, I got to tell you, dude, I love you, man. And uh, you're too young and you got too much going for yourself. Like you need to snap out of it, man, because you're, you're hanging out with the wrong crowd. You're doing the wrong things. And like, I'm not saying like, you know, he's like, look at yourself, man. Like you're better than this. It's not like I need to look like a fitness model, but I need to be healthier. You know, I was 19 years old and I was awful, man. I put on 40 pounds and I snapped out of it. And I, within four months, I got in the best shape of my life, man. And it's just something I continue to fall in love with. And over time, you know, I've, uh, I really, you know, I, I take the time to follow different people that are in fitness. Um, there's different ways to train. You know, I, I combine all kinds of stuff with Pilates, athletic training, bodybuilding, hypertrophy training, yoga, and I mix that kind of all in one. And uh, I got away from it when it comes to pursuing it. And I stayed in the restaurant business. I waited tables, I bartended, I did corporate sales, you know, for two years. And then I opened up my own restaurant in Florida. And it just turned out to be a complete disaster. And I was like, what do I love? What is another passion of mine besides, you know, food, you know, and drinks and, you know, people connecting together, you know, at a restaurant and it's fitness, man. It's, it's helped me through the darkest of times of getting through struggle. You know, not only is training, you know, such a beautiful thing to build up your body and watch your body perform, but it's such a mental thing, man. You know, now, you know, people that suffer from depression, doctors prescribe at least three days a week of physical activity, you know, because it's so healthy for our minds. And I decided to become a personal trainer. So I got certified, you know, it basically took me six months to get a certification for something I've been doing for 20 years. You know, I'm 33 now and I've probably... I started training when I was 13, which is crazy to say, but, you know, I've had so much experience of learning from people and taking the time to watch videos, read the magazines, you know, and I, uh, I take pride and always try stuff out before I, you know, put a client through it. And I decided to start my business of athlete for life because it's something I've always said, you know, like after high school, I'm still going to train. I'm still going to challenge myself, man. I love the idea of, you know, always having that competition, you know, I got to fuel that competitive fire. So athlete for life is what I go by. and I've had an awesome opportunity very quickly to grow my brand in LA of, you know, my online following and working with great clients. And then the kid boxer that I trained, his father actually found me on Instagram. And he said, do you work with kids? I'm like, man, I work with anybody that's willing and able to make a change in their life. And to be able to work with an eight-time national champion and watch him flourish and grow, he's such an amazing young man. It's an honor to work with him. We actually have to hold him back from himself because he doesn't want to stop. And there's times that you kind of got to stop training. But it's one of those things, like I told you, I just, I looked myself in the mirror and I decided to bet on myself, man. And, uh, you know, fitness has been an amazing thing for me and to be able to give that back to people and show them that there's capable of so much more and that that pain and anger that they feel that can, they can get rid of a lot of that by training an hour a day. So, uh, I love it, man. It's a, it's a true joy for me. Yo, I want to take one second to shout out and acknowledge the sponsor of this podcast. I am truly grateful for them, not just for sponsoring this podcast, but because this program changed my life. If you're looking for a spark, if you're looking for change, if you're looking for transformation, leadership training, or coach training, Accomplishment Coaching is really the world's finest training program. You should check it out at accomplishmentcoaching.com. Now let's hop back into the episode. You said something before about the like you made a you had a moment where you made a change. And I think there's something really powerful and critical here because I think you know you said, "Hey, I gained 40 pounds and you had majored in <laughs> and all the bad things, you know, the bad food, the the beer, you know, whatnot." And um so you're 40 pounds heavier, you're 19 years old, and you decided to have it go different. And I think a lot of people do this, right? We're in bad marriages, bad financial situations, just bad relationships, unhealthy, bad jobs, live in bad places, hanging out with people that aren't working for us. We could do anything. We could find a million different variations of this. And people all the time are talking about how they want to change. They want something to be different. They want to make a difference. They and And they may want it, but wanting it doesn't have anything go different. It actually requires, you know, you take action, you get committed. What's the thing that had that go that way for you? Because you could have been like, man, I'm 40 pounds overweight. I wish I wasn't. And then just kind of kept doing it. What had you actually, what did you do? What did you choose? Like what's something that somebody could learn from you to go if they want to make a change like that? What do they need to do? 
I, it came down to me looking myself in the mirror and really owning, you know, the good and the bad that I've done up to that point, you know, you know, being proud of who I was as a young man. And then also being honest with myself of like, look, man, you've really kind of fallen off the wagon. You know, um, you're, you're, you're partying all the time. You're eating like crap. You feel like crap. You look like crap, you know, like take hold of your life. And I wanted to just bet on myself and I've always believed in myself and I always thought that I was meant for something, you know, like I, I thought I was one of those, I wanted to be an action hero. Like I saw in the movies, I wanted to be my father, that hero, that great human being. And I was like, well, why not me? Why can't I do it? So, and with something like that, by looking yourself in the mirror and calling yourself out on all the good and the bullshit, you can, I took hold of my life, man. I said, enough, like I'm better. I deserve to look good. I deserve to feel good. I'm 19 years old. I want to keep getting better, not getting worse, man. And I, I don't want to be a loser. I want to be somebody, you know, I want to, uh, I want to take hold of my life. And when I look back, man, I want to like, no regrets. I want to say I gave it my all, you know, like a wet t-shirt. I want to wring it out, man. Every ounce of me is the good, bad. Like, I want to be able to say I gave it my all by truly looking yourself in the mirror and making a commitment and owning it. So you got honest with yourself. I hear like, Hey, I got really honest with myself and I stopped. I stopped like lying about it or making excuses. And then you, you made a commitment and then you took action. Yes. 100% man. And it's not easy, but think about the, the opposite of that. And I couldn't go down that path anymore because I loved myself enough. And I just got true. I got truly honest with myself and I made a commitment. And then four months I busted my butt, man. And it's one of the best decisions I ever made. Nice. Let's talk about uh, family because you brought up, you know, your family a little bit. Like your cousin was the one who kind of put it in your space. You brought up your mom and alcoholism. You talked about your dad not being there. And that was one of the things that I think, you know, drew me to you is the, the conversation that you shared really about your relationship to your dad. And you talked a lot about forgiveness. Um, and, you know, I, I've talked about it a few times. Like I don't have the the ideal relationship that I would want with my dad. My dad's great and um, he's been there my whole life and he's been supportive in many ways, but it's often it just seems like it's difficult to connect. And I don't, I don't put that like on him. Like it's not his fault. It's just, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's just like as men, we're not, um, we're not like trained. We're not trained to talk about our feelings, to go deep, to really get beyond the surface levels. And I think as we get older, we get more set in our ways and it becomes only more difficult. And um, your story about your dad and your willingness to forgive is, is really impressive. Will you share a little bit of that? Yeah, of course. You know, um, I come from the American dream. My dad, you know, is a Greek Cypriot, came from a little island called Cyprus and came to the States and came for college and a better life and met my mom. And, you know, I was born and life was amazing, man. I remember joy and happiness. And we, uh, we got a phone call that his dad was sick. So we had to move back to the Island of Cyprus to uh, my dad to take over the family company and, uh, life was good again. It was just in Cyprus in a little Island. I mean, it was paradise. And I remember my parents were happy and in love and I was, I had everything I wanted, everything I needed, you know, but I wasn't like a spoiled kid. I was happy and kind and joyful, but you know, the marriage slowly started to fall apart. You know, my dad was my hero growing up, man. He was, I, I didn't have a lot of friends, not that I wasn't sociable, just I thought my dad was the coolest guy to hang out with. <laughs> so I didn't hang out with kids from school all the time. I just always was with my father, you know, and we had this bond, man, that like, it was amazing. It was the cool relationships that you see in the movies that we all wish we had. Like, wow, that's perfect. It's a Hollywood script. I had that. I lived that, man. And, uh, you know, through the divorce, you know, my mom just said, hey, just give me the two kids. I don't want any money. And anytime they want to come visit, we'll, you know, we'll book them a flight. And they can come see you. I just want the kids and let me go back to the States. They eventually agreed upon that. And I came back to the States with my mom and I visited my father, um, like two to three of the following summers for a month long. And we keep in touch over the phone. And just over time, we lost contact, man, you know, of, uh, not talking as much, you know, but he always sent cards, you know, for the holidays on my birthday. And uh, just slowly lost that contact. And then the next thing I know, it's coming up on my senior year of high school. And, you know, uh, a big part of me is making my dad proud. And, you know, that relationship, of, you know, like I'm a man's man, you know, and to have my father watch me play football was a dream of mine. And I never got that, man. And I kind of developed this chip on my shoulder, you know, that always felt like I wasn't good enough because I, why is my dad not talking to me as much? I don't feel like he loves me as much. What am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? Why am I not good enough? So it's become a blessing and a curse as well. But I, you know, it's my high school graduation and I call my dad and I ask him to come. 
I'm like, you got to be here, man. I'm graduating from high school. I'm proud of who I am. You know, I was a hell of a football player. I'm a, I'm a good guy. And uh, he said no. So I pretty much told him to go screw himself, man. And I didn't talk to my dad for three, four years. You know, fast forward, I'm waiting tables. And a guy, a good customer recognizes, comes to find out that I'm Pete's son, Petrus's son. And he's like, oh, I worked with your dad back in the day. We waited tables in college. You know, how's he doing? And I'm like, man, to be honest with you, me and my father don't talk. You know, and he's like, oh, man, he's like, London, just to let you know, man, if I give you any advice, I'm not trying to overstep my bounds, but I just don't have a relationship with my father. It's something that's kind of hindered me as a man. If I give you any advice, maybe try to patch things up. And I was like, yeah, I think you have a good point, man. But honestly, I don't even have his number anymore. I don't even know how to get a hold of him. He's like, well, if I was willing to find him and get his number, would you talk to him, man? I'm like, I'll make you a deal, dude. I think you mean well. I'll talk to him if you can find his number. So a week later, he gets his number and I call my father. And my heart's racing, man. And I, my, I, you know, I can't breathe. I feel like I'm suffocating. I'm scared to death and couldn't be more excited. And I cry like, like a baby boy, man, like a child. <laughs> and I just cry. And I get all this pain and this emotion because my dad hasn't been in my life. This guy that was in my life all the time, my hero, my best friend, my sidekick, you know, Batman and Robin. To finally get a chance for him to say, hey, man, I love you. I'm proud of you. I saw your pictures. You look great. I heard um, you're a good kid. You stay out of trouble. I saw some of your highlight football films. You knocked the hell out of that guy. You were nominated for hit of the year. For my father, for my hero, man, to finally acknowledge me, something I've wanted for so long, man, it was unbelievable. But then, you know, we keep talking and he's like, well, I'll call you next time because you just called me. And he never called, man. And I guess I was stubborn in a way. I just thought my father should call me next. And he never called. Mm. And we didn't talk. And he, we didn't talk again until my mother passed away due to alcoholism. And uh, he called and didn't have anything nice to say to my, about my mom. And I'm like, look, man, you know, you might be right about some things, you know, but uh, my mom was always here. You were the one that weren't here, wasn't here. And I'm about to bury my mom. And she just died on Mother's Day. She's 47 years old. I'm 25. Gabriella's 18. Kennedy's 10. My two sisters. There's no money. There's no life insurance. There's nobody here to help me. And you want to tell me just bad stuff about my mom? So I told him to go fuck himself, man. And I haven't talked to him since. We're going on eight years. So my biggest joy, my biggest light in my life, you know, became my biggest disappointment, my biggest pain. And here I am as a 33-year-old man. I still suffer from that. I still suffer from the trauma the day I said goodbye to my father. But I'm not scared anymore to talk about it because as men, we ha we feel pain. We feel joy. We need to talk about it. We need to learn to forgive. And through time, I've been able to look myself in the mirror and forgive a man and get some of that weight off my shoulders. But that pain's driven me to do great things. But it's hindered me too. You know, at a time, I became a shell of myself. I was, I got angry quickly. I, uh, you know, I had a short temper. I People in a room could feel my pain, my anger, man. That's not who I am. That's not what I want to be about. I want to be the opposite of that. And through time, I'm becoming that, you know, and I'm not, I'm not scared to say I cry about it. I've, I've heard over it, you know, and one day I'll go find them and I'm going to look them in the, in the eyes as men and I'm going to let them know I forgive them. And maybe we can have a relationship one day, man. But, uh, you know, forgiveness is about us. It's not about the other person. It's about us to be able to heal because it'll literally, it'll, it'll kill you if you let it. Well, what do you, I mean, this, I don't, maybe you've thought about this, maybe you haven't. Like, what are you waiting for? Why not today? Why not yesterday? Which part? Like going to reach out to your father and, and, you know, start building something new with him. Um, well, it took me a while to, you know, I've, I have this uncanny ability to forgive, you know, but when I say I forgive, it's not like I just forgive right away, but I forgive it enough to allow myself to breathe and move on with my life. And I've always had a vision about going to find my father and finishing this one day and really talking to him man to man. And just life goes on and different things happen. And then moving to L.A., I've really thought about, you know, doing that and having the courage. So part of my documentary is me going to find my father and filming it and showing it to the world that a guy that looks like me with a guy that's in shape, that has this beard, that's a man's man, is able to talk about his feelings and say, hey, man, like I'm hurting. You've hurt me, but I'm willing to forgive you and I'm willing to try to have a relationship with you. And I'm going to film all of it, man. And I'm going to put it on camera and I'm going to show it to the world. And by doing that, it's going to help me heal. But hopefully other people out there in the world that can't seem to move along with their lives or aren't willing to forgive people. Maybe by me telling my story visually, 
it can help them, man. So that's, that's my biggest passion project right now. Say more about that. So you're making a documentary about your experience. I mean, you, I, I know a little bit, but for the, you know, those listening, you're making a documentary about the experience of your life and your mom and your father and, and basically forgiveness. Yeah. So, you know, the main part, it's uh, about my life and what I've been through and what I've been able to overcome, you know, losing my mom on Mother's Day at 47 years old, going through a tough divorce. You know, when we first uh, came back to the States, I lived in a trailer with 10 people. You know, I slept on the floor sometimes. Sometimes I slept in a bed. Sometimes I slept on a couch. You know, um, my mom went through her second divorce, divorce, which ultimately led her to becoming an alcoholic. It ultimately led to her dying suddenly on Mother's Day. You know, I got a call at 9.32 a.m. on Mother's Day saying my mom was dead, you know, and then trying to figure out how to pay for stuff. There's no life insurance. It's just me and my sister, you know, and then my youngest sister was with my ex-stepfather, her father, you know, my mom's second marriage and then trying to overcome that, man, you know, and then going to corporate America sales and what it's like of chasing money and being unfulfilled and then opening up a restaurant where I was a bar manager and being successful and then taking a risk of opening up my own restaurant and falling flat on my face and going broke in every way possible. And then having the balls to move to New York, not ever living there before, knowing anybody, and then ultimately selling everything I have and having my dreams come true in LA, you know? And then the other part of the documentary is forgiveness and going to find my father and filming it. You know, I've got a half brother and sister I've never met. I haven't been to Cyprus in over 20 years, man. I've got to face that pain. I've got to face that demon. And maybe we can patch things up, but if all else fails, I can help some other people have the courage to do it too. I hope, I believe it will once the documentary comes out and uh, ultimately I can get that weight off my shoulders. What do you think, uh, what do you think it is about like being a man and the difficulty we have with feelings and communicating and connecting, especially with other men, possibly, you know, be be it our fathers or just other men in general? I think it's just the way we've been brought up over time, the way, you know, it's just, it's not, uh, it's been frowned upon, you know, men are tough and we play sports like, oh, you're not hurt. You know, you don't cry. You don't feel pain. It's just, you know, the heroes in the movies, you know, those guys, they don't know they're good. They're tough, you know, put a bandaid on it. You'll be fine. And that's just the way, you know, and when you're brought up a certain way, it's probably hard not to change that. You're like, oh, I had a good dad and this is how we were brought up. So let me act that way. But it's counterproductive, man. You know, you need to be honest with what's going on inside because it'll literally, you know, it'll eat you alive. It can kill you, you know, and depression is real, man. You know, uh, mental health is real. And by not acknowledging the pain that we feel and, you know, it's very detrimental. And I've realized to be able to talk about it and embrace it and not fear from it. So many people relate to me. So many people talk to me. So many people go for me for help now. And I take that. I'm very proud of that. And it's a big responsibility to take on. But I'm willing to because I know how those people feel. And if they, by talking to me and me giving them a little bit of, you know, what I think might be right, some advice, you know, uh, I'm willing to do that, man, because I'm not going to live that way anymore. How does it impact like your friendships? I know that for me, when I started really like taking on my life at a new level, you know, it, it, I want to say infected or had an impact on every area, the, the people I dated, the, um, you know, the, the friendships that I had, the people that, you know, I would go out with on the weekends, like things started to change and that was often challenging. How is this going for you? Uh, you find out who's really in your circle, man. And uh, for me, thankfully, most people have embraced me. You know, they respect it. They're like, wow, man, I maybe, you know, I have a good friend of mine. He's like, I deal with a lot of that stuff too, man. I think I have an anger problem. Maybe I should talk to somebody. Like after mm-hmm. hearing you on your podcast, man. So thankfully, it's allowed me to uh, really see who's in my circle. And I haven't really lost any friends. They've more embraced me and had more respect for me. And most importantly, want to try to heal themselves because they're like, man, I deal with a lot of that stuff too. I've just never really talked about it. But hearing you, knowing you, for you to, you know, have the guts to talk about it, I really respect it and appreciate it, you know? And I'm sure there's people that talk about me and are like, oh, Jesus, look at this guy, Mr. Another quote under his picture while he's looking off in the sunset. (laughs) Well, you know what? If you don't believe in it, that's fine, man. And hey, I wish everybody liked me, but you know what? I don't lose sleep over it because 
I, I'm okay with who I see in the mirror and I want so much more for myself for the right reasons. But I take great pride in being who I am, you know, and owning that. And I've always respected people that are unapologetically themselves. Even if you don't like it, at least you can say, damn, dude, that's how, that's who, who, or he, he she is. And they're owning that and they're not scared whether you like it or not. I truly respect and love people like that, man. And me trying to be that someone like that. And I am like that now. Like, I'm really proud of that. And if you're not about it, that's okay. You know, that's on you, not me. Where do you see, you know, I, I started this when I introduced you as I, I see aspects of you being rebellious. And I think that there's some of that. And I think, I think being rebellious is important because if we don't rebel and rebellion can be positive, negative, or anywhere in between, but if we don't rebel, things don't change, right? If we just go along with the status quo, we always get what we've always gotten. Systems stay the same. You know, you're, if you, if you don't, uh, create something new, which is essentially rebellion. We're always left with the same. So, how do you see yourself as? Where are you rebelling as a as an individual in fitness in uh, in the businesses that you're trying to create? I being honest with myself and like what I believe in. So, if I you know, and I really respect people, man, and common connections. So. If I'm going to take somebody's money to train them, I take it seriously, man. And you're going to get all of me, you know, and I'm going to practice what I preach. So I, I practice different moves, different styles of training. I put myself through the workout before a client ever does. You know, I, I take pride in my name and what I'm trying to build for myself. You know, and I've made my mistakes and I'll continue to make my mistakes, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to look myself in the mirror and reassess each time, you know, and but rebelling by. I was in corporate America. I was miserable, man. I wore suits every day and I looked like a GQ million bucks and I felt good looking in the mirror, but I wasn't making any money. I was miserable. I had the rules of what they wanted me to do. I was always working on the holidays. The pay plan always changed and I was miserable chasing money and it was important. I had bills to pay. I had to get my sister a new car. I had a $15,000 funeral to pay for, but I was miserable and I was like, there's no way I can live my life, man. And then working for somebody's great, but you're making their dreams come true, man. And how long am I going to keep doing that? You know, I want to make my own dreams come true. So by writing stuff down, I decided to own them. So I said, I'm going to move to LA and live by the beach. I'm going to date a beautiful blonde. I'm going to have top-notch clients. I'm going to get sponsored by a beard company. I'm going to develop this brand of athlete for life. I'm going to find an awesome private gym to train out of. I'm going to be on a podcast and tell my story and have no fear. I'm going to work with Steve Weatherford. Every one of those things I accomplished within a year and a half. Because I decided to write them down, own them, and work at it every day by making a commitment to myself. Because I'll be damned if I'm going to go through that nine to five anymore. And I'm not judging you. If you people out there, if you're happy doing that, I don't judge you. Seriously, if you want to work at McDonald's for the rest of your life, and you're the best cashier in the world, and you're happy and fulfilled every day, I don't judge. But if you're not, you need to look yourself in the mirror and reassess it because you deserve to be happy. And the only way you can be is to look yourself in the mirror Forgive yourself, the good and the bad, own it to figure out what you want to do. And if you don't have it all figured out, whether you're 20, 45 years old, try stuff that you think would set your soul on fire. Give it at least six months. And if not, move on, man. But I'll be damned if I'm going to go through that vicious cycle that so many people in this world go through. I can't live like that, man. I owe it to myself. I, owe my, I love myself enough to where I'm going to take hold of my life. And I have. And it's the most fulfilled and the happiest I've ever been, man. I'm going to have to start charging McDonald's for uh, sponsorships. Every time somebody, every time this conversation comes up on this <laughs> podcast, people use McDonald's as an example. Um, I think you make a, a really powerful point, right? Like it doesn't matter what you do or what excites you, but find the thing that excites you. You know, um, if you want to be, you know, a postman, a garbage man, a lawyer, a doctor, um, a personal trainer, a yoga teacher, you know, own a hedge fund. It doesn't matter. But if you're miserable doing it and you're not getting satisfaction out of it, then it's actually up to you to make a change. It's up to you to say, this doesn't work for me. And I find in my practice, a lot of people will say, well, I don't, I don't know what I want to do. And I love that you said, we'll pick something and try it because we'll never know what we want to do. You know, I didn't know I wanted to be a coach. I didn't know I wanted to start a podcast. Like, I mean, I had inklings, right? Like, oh, this, I could like this. You know, I, I set a goal. I was just sharing this with somebody yesterday that when I decided I wanted to do this podcast, 
I said, I have to do a hundred episodes and I don't get to quit until I do a hundred episodes. Now, if I do a hundred episodes and I, I don't want to do it anymore, then I can choose like out. But until I get to a hundred, I have to be in. And my, my mindset behind that was if I'm going to quit, I want to quit on top. Like, and I don't mean on top compared to other people, but like, I want to have a, I want to quit after I accomplish the thing. I want to run the marathon and then decide I'm never running another marathon versus mile five go, you know what? This isn't for me. And then it's just another thing that I didn't finish. Um, and I love that you point to that. Cause I think like to, to play off what you said, that's my kind of advice or tip to someone is pick something and set a barometer that feels like a little bit out of reach. Like a hundred podcast episodes was a lot. I didn't know how to, I'd never done one. I didn't even know how to do it. And now I'm at, you know, I'm when this airs, this will either be right around a hundred or right after a hundred. And it's like, I fell in love with this thing, but I never would have known unless I had tried. And I feel like you could say that about, fitness. I would love for this to be the hundred. I would love for this to be the hundredth <laughs> episode. That would be awesome. Uh, we'll see where it falls. I don't, I don't know if that, uh, I, I, we'll see what happens. Um, but definitely let me know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like, I, but look, even that is part of the process, right? Because I learned at one point when I was around, you know, 30, 40 episodes that circumstances of life started getting in the way, right? I wanted to travel for a month. I wanted to go to Europe for a month and work. I could run my practice from there, but I went, man, how do I record a podcast from there? I won't, I don't, I can't take the equipment with me. I won't have the sound. You know, I don't, I don't speak the languages to get into somebody's podcast studio. And I, I could come up with all these things. And then I went, what I realized was, wait a minute, if I actually got ahead of myself, if I actually started like push my foot down on the pedal a little faster and started pre-recording, you know, instead of only having one or two recordings up the next two, what if I had eight recorded? You know, and then it became my commitment over my feelings. And I, and I think that's what you're talking about, too, is, you know, you might not feel like losing weight. You might not feel like going on job interviews. You might not feel like recording a podcast or working out or 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 whatever. But if you have a commitment, which were all the goals you wrote down, then it doesn't really matter how you feel in, in the moment. And as my coach says to me, hey, you can work when you're sad. It's silly to be like, oh, it's raining outside. I'm not going to go to work today. So if you don't feel like it, you could still do it anyway. 100%. And if I worked out every time I felt like it, I'd be 40 pounds overweight like I was <laughs> in college. You know, but I make a commitment to myself and I own it, man. And I'm always better off once I get there and I get started. I've never left the gym and been mad about it. I've never eaten really well, even when I didn't feel like it and been mad about it, you know? To make those choices and the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And it's just setting yourself up for, for success. But I'd rather fight through stuff I don't really feel like doing that's good for me versus the downside of going through that nine to five or not taking care of myself of my mental health and my 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 body's health. You know, that that fear of that far outweighs me doing the stuff that sets my soul on fire. And yeah, it's scary to put yourself out there and talk about your feelings to cry on Instagram and talk about your mom being an alcoholic, man, but it's helped me heal. And so many people reached out to me once I told that story, man, that it was unbelievable because, you know, a man keeping it real and being honest about what he's been through, you know, and it just showed me that's what I need to be doing, you know, and I'm not afraid, but I am afraid of the other stuff, you know, of nine to five or, you know, following somebody's rules. I'm living life on my terms, man. Cause it's my life and I'm the one with myself the most and I've got to be comfortable and love myself as much as possible. And I don't always do it, man, but damn, I do it a lot more than I used to. Yeah. And you just said something about, um, you know, when you go, I can totally identify with that. Right. I, I, most days I don't want to work out. I don't want to do yoga. I don't want to work out. And I, and I push myself and I get myself there most days. And so do you. And but afterwards, I'm never like, I wish I hadn't done that. I don't think I've ever, I might, I might be exhausted. I might be sore. I might be beat up, but I'm never like, oh, I wish I had not have done that. I always am happy I did it. And I think maybe that's a test in the sense of when I had jobs that I didn't like, not only did I have to force myself to get there, but at the end of it, I was still like, oh, I wish I didn't have to do that. You know, when I sit down and force myself to write and work on a book or record this podcast, some days I don't want to do it. You know, I'm tired. I don't want to go down to the studio and get my energy levels up. But afterwards, I'm always happy I did. 
And that might be, we might've just hit on something pretty cool, which is like, Hey, if after you're still going, man, I don't want to do that. I wish I hadn't done that. That might be a moment to make a change. That's a great, that's exactly correct, man. That's a great point, you know, and thankfully we, you and I have put ourselves in an opportunity to where more times than not, we're feeling good about everything we're doing, man. And I encourage everyone to really look yourself in the mirror and take a hold of your life. You owe it to yourself. Forget everybody else around you. But once things start opening up and you love yourself, you'd be amazed about how everything around you is so much more crystal clear. You know, it's a, it is a beautiful thing, man. And I, uh, I'm grateful that I love myself enough to take a hold of my life, you know, and I don't have it all figured out, man. I'm still trying to figure out things and I've fallen and I've failed and I continue to fail, but I'm just not afraid of it anymore, you know, because I owe it to myself and I'm trying to make an impact, you know, in my own life, let alone other people's lives, you know? So, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a really cool, that's what's so cool about speaking at the Epic event is to be in a room full of people that feel the same way. Like I have never really put myself in a position like that before to be around so many like-minded people. You know, I can move to San Diego and legit have like 10 friends I'd want to go hang out with right now. And you're one of them. And that's really cool, man. That's like powerful. Yeah. And it, I encourage people to keep putting themselves in positions like that as well. You are who you hang out with. And most importantly, you know, you hang out with yourself the most. So you need to really love yourself and work on yourself. And the people around you have a big effect on that as well. And put myself in those kind of positions of hanging out with people, you know, talking to you and doing a conference like that. Uh, Steve Weatherford being a friend of mine, you know, that's, that's good company to keep, man. And it, it, it helps me be better. Yeah. And you, and you're right. You never know, you know, that night of that Epic event, like I didn't feel like it. I was tired. I had worked all day. I think I'd woken up at like 5 AM to get my workout in and by that, the event started at like six or seven. It was like, I just wanted to be done. And I had to keep telling myself, you know, the things I'm committed to are bigger than that, like sitting on the couch for that extra hour or two. I can sit on the couch afterwards. But I didn't know, you know, in my head, what I tell myself is, who you don't know who you might meet. You don't know what opportunity. But if you don't go, what you do know is none of that will happen. And if all I got from that is this podcast and last time I drove up to LA, I hit you up to see if, you know, we could meet up, but you know, I was eating a little too unhealthy for you, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, like I, I reciprocate the same things. It's like, I, I made a new friend. I made a new, you know, someone who I got to bring on here and share their story. And I think a lot of times when we don't choose, when we choose in the way we feel or like, I don't feel like it's, we lose all that possibility. Um, I want to uh, I want to share something that you wrote in one of our communications, and I want to have like finish on this, and I want you to speak to it. You said something. You said it might not be our fault what has happened to us, but it's damn sure our responsibility to do something about it. What do you What do you like mean by that, or what advice would you give people that 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 applies to? So first and foremost, uh, one of my favorite people. Um, to listen to is Will Smith. I've always been a fan of his, of his acting, his music, his comedy. And uh, he's real big on social media now, man. One of the things he said was, I quote, and it just struck home for me, man, because it's so easy for me to be mad at the world. And I've been that way for a long time. Like why my dad, it's, I should be angry. My dad left me. He doesn't talk to me, man. I'm a halfway decent human being. I look just like him. I walk like him, man. You know, I'm built like him. I'm a good guy. He doesn't talk to me. My dad doesn't want me. My mom fell apart at 47 years old and accidentally died due to alcoholism on Mother's Day, man, 47 years old. My stepfather's not a part of my life, you know. Um, and so, you know, the restaurant fell apart. You know, the people I was involved with, we just couldn't come together as a team. And their cousin wasn't who we thought he was, blah, blah, blah. It's easy for me to be mad at them and say, it's your fault I failed. It's your fault I'm angry. It's your fault I lived in a trailer with 10 people. But what good does that do me? Yes, it sucks all those things happen to me. It's awful, man. It's a horror. Like, shit, man. I tell people, they're like, really? Your mom died on Mother's Day? I'm like, yeah, it's true. But I have two little sisters that I love, man. And I can make a choice to fall apart and put a needle in my arm or become an alcoholic. Or maybe I could be a hero for them like my dad used to be for me, man. Maybe I could be a light and a light for other people. So it's not my fault that my dad doesn't talk to me. It's not my fault that my stepfather doesn't, ex-stepfather, we don't have a relationship. 
it's not my fault my mom died on Mother's Day due to alcoholism, but it is my responsibility to take hold of my life and not be miserable and get up out of bed when I don't feel like it, man, to make those choices, to put myself out in the world, to try to grow my brand, to try to connect with people. And I take it as a personal responsibility to tell that to people and take a hold of your life, man, because I did it. And I'm a lot happier than I was. And people have gone through so much worse than me, man, but you can take hold of your life and do something about it. And I know it's not your fault you might have been raped or molested or whatever happened to you. And I'm sorry it did. But if you're still living and breathing, man, owe it to yourself to find a way. And if you can't, reach out to me and I'll do my best to guide you. That's beautiful. Dude, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for being willing to break out of your comfort zone and share the things that are scary and uncomfortable and even the things that aren't cleaned up yet. You know, like I get, there's still a process and still the journey of, of where you're at with your dad. And I could say the same thing about where I'm at with mine. Like it's not over yet. And, and I don't know that it ever is whether people pass away or not, there's still work that people that are alive can do, but thanks for sharing like exactly where you are. Um, and being okay with where you are and saying, Hey, there's more to be done and I'm doing it. Uh, I just, I love your authenticity and your vulnerability and your willingness, especially to come on here. You know, I think this is your third podcast. You've done one speaking gig. This is not something that you've done 50 times. I didn't give you a lot of prompts. It wasn't like, Hey, here's all the questions. We really just roll with it. So, uh, thanks for taking a chance and being with us here today and just being really present with me. Um, I want people to know where they can find you. Um, and why don't you tell me how do what's the deal with fitness app and people, you can, people can try it out for like seven days for free. Oh, well, first and foremost, thank you for the acknowledgement, man. It's a true honor to be on your show and I've got a lot of respect for you. Um, it's, this was really cool, man. And I'm glad it finally worked out because me and you were trying to pick the dates and stuff. Um, but with the playbook app, they actually reached out to me. They have top trainers on there like the guy that trains Ryan Reynolds for Deadpool, uh, the guy that trained uh, the girl for Captain Marvel. A lot of big time trainers are on there, let alone people like me that are up and coming. And uh, you can, uh, the link's in my bio on my Instagram. And uh, basically you, uh, you can try it free for seven days. You can work out with me anywhere, anytime. I've got a men's program on there, a women's program, along with just different workouts. And you can actually direct message me. So if you have a question or you don't have that piece of equipment, Hey, London, I don't have this. What else can I do? Hit me a message. Give me 24 hours and I'll get back to you. Um, nice. But you can sign up for it uh, monthly, quarterly, or yearly. And the, to sign up for a whole year to train with me is only $100. Oh, wow. It's a phenomenal deal. And it's just a cool way for me to connect with people that don't live in the area, you know, or necessarily can't afford personal training, you know? That's and great. they're an amazing platform. Man. I'm very impressed with how, you know, and I have my nutrition on there because I'm actually plant-based. So it's going to be a cool way for people to see how I, how I eat and some recommendations on some recipes, but, uh, Instagram is my most, uh, it's my favorite way to connect with people and it's at it's London bro. And then I'm also obviously on Facebook, London, Papa Michael, and then obviously, uh, on my uh, playbook app. That's really cool. I know, um, I spent a lot of years training at gold's gym in Venice and it was always easy to create new workouts because I was surrounded by like the best of the best and in, especially in fitness and bodybuilding. So I could just look around and go, Oh, I've never done that exercise before. I'm going to try that next time. But I know that when I left LA and I moved to New York and I was working out at this little tiny gym, basically by myself every day, nobody else would be in there in the morning. I would get, I would fall into those stagnant places and I could see how something like playbook app would have been helpful at the time. Cause I needed like a new routine. I just needed like a new workout routine. And so for what you were saying for that affordable price, that would have shaken it up. That's pretty cool. Um, awesome, man. So yeah, yeah it's been, it's been a really cool partnership. Sorry, what'd you say? What's that? No, what'd you say? I, I was, we were talked at the same time. What'd you just say? I would say it's been a great partnership working with them. I'm very impressed with their platform. It's I'm very fortunate. It's awesome. Nice. Well, I would encourage people to reach out to you. You are very easy to connect with. So if something that you know, London said today just really struck you or you want to find out more about the documentary or fitness or anything. Uh, beard game, right? That's we didn't even touch on that, but you are like a professional beard model. Um, so 
lots of ways and reasons to connect with you. London, thanks again for being here. Uh, I really appreciate you and your time. Hey, my pleasure, my man. Uh, I just encourage everyone, if you liked what we had to say, just share it with somebody if you think it would help them. That's all I ask. And if I can help anyone in any way when it comes to fitness, beard, you know, life, reach out to me. I'm, uh, I'm always, I'm, I'm here to help. I want to help. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Take care, man. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream. And I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.